0: Alright, hello everyone, this is episode 5 of Coward Distinctives 2.0. I am Mike here with Brian Weed again. Hello, everybody. And we are up to chapter 3 of Chuck's book. And this chapter is entitled Empowered by the Spirit. So, again, just quick rundown. We want to give a summary of Chuck's main point. We want to go through, again, the biblical basis of that point, how we see it as universal scripturally, and then we'll talk about applications that kind of move through the process there. So, in light of just this chapter, this is another one of those chapters where Chuck really doesn't give a lot of personal examples, but he more lays out scripturally uh, just the basis for our view here.
1: Yeah, he's getting into Greek prepositions and Greek words and actually building his case on the three words that come up when you talk about these things.
0: Yeah, so in light of that, in terms of summary, from page 32, Chuck says this, We believe there's an empowering experience with the Holy Spirit that is separate and distinct from conversion. We acknowledge a threefold relationship between the Holy Spirit and the believer that is present by three Greek prepositions, para, and MP. So in terms of uh, a biblical basis of that, we see that the Holy Spirit is with us, para, in the world, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and drawing hearts to Christ. We see that in Psalm 139, in John 14, 16 through 17, in John 15, verses 26 and 27, and in John 16, verses 5 through 11. The Holy Spirit has His work in the world, He's present in the world. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes into us. And in salvation, we see that in John 7, 37 through 39. We see it in John 14, 16 through 17. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. And then maybe more particularly to what would be the distinctive, I think, or the argument here biblically, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon us, a P, or fills us to make us witnesses. And this is seen in the constant filling of, Uh, that we see through the book of Acts. So, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit come. Then we see, subsequent to that, after that, multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit. So, a wider group of apostles and disciples are filled with the Spirit, really beginning in John 20, verse 22, but then in Acts 2.4, in Acts 4.31, and in Acts 13.52— those same people who were filled at Pentecost are filled again. We see that through two, I think, very distinct personalities. Peter, we see filled personally, John twenty, twenty two, then in Acts two, four, and then again in Acts four eight. And we see it in Paul personally, we I think everybody would admit when he gets knocked off his horse, he's saved. Paul the Apostle, yet Ananias comes, and in Acts 9, 17, he receives the Spirit when Ananias prays for him, and then we see him filled again in Acts 13, 9. We see the same type of thing with other groups in Acts 2, 37, and 38, Acts 8, 14 through 17, Acts 19, 1 through 7. We see it simultaneous in the house of Cornelius in Acts eleven fifteen 15 through 17. They are saved and filled with the Spirit. So, that is possible, but throughout the book of Acts, we see people who are saved being filled again with the Holy Spirit.
1: And I think when you see the scripture you quote there in Acts 11, Mike, even though they're happening simultaneously, the point is, it's not one thing happening necessarily, it's two things, or two different aspects of of a salvation experience, so that when you see it happening through the book of Acts later on... It shouldn't be confusing to us because even when it happens simultaneously, it's
0: two things happening. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of just biblical kind of theology, the promise of the Holy Spirit is the distinct promise of our age from Jesus's work. So if you want to take three scriptures and kind of string them together, Luke twenty four forty nine, Jesus promises that work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 4 through 5, Jesus tells his disciples to wait, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit so that they could be witnesses. And then that happens. And in Acts 2, 33 and verse 39, Peter says what happened was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of Joel and that that goes to you and your children and all that are afar off. So this promise of Jesus comes in Pentecost, And that promise of receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit extends all through the age that was prophesied that Peter mentions there from Acts. Which is why in places like Ephesians 5.18... Paul can command the believers to be filled with the, the Holy Spirit because that promise is there for them. And why even in the book of Acts, Peter and John and Paul can come places and ask if people knew about the promise of the Holy Spirit because it was distinct and unique for this day and age.
1: Yeah, and not to take it too far afield, uh, you mentioned the John 7 passage when you were talking about the preposition EN, the Holy Spirit coming I- uh, upon, or, sorry, in us. Uh, and the interesting thing about the way Jesus speaks about the experience there in John 7, or actually the way John speaks about it, after Jesus says, if you believe in me, as the scripture said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. John comments, this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing him would receive, future tense, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John writing about Jesus' day said that there was something different about the time when Jesus was on the earth. And the difference was and John's words, inspired words, the Holy Spirit was not yet given in that way that he could flow out of your hearts. Something had to happen first, which is Jesus needed to be glorified. And then what you're talking about, Mike, this 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 different pouring out, this different coming upon, this different filling of the Spirit uh, would, as you said, mark this particular age.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of the biblical layout. Really, you know, we don't think that they're, Uh, We're not trying to make this super tight theologically in the sense that we think it's pretty easy to read and see. And because of that, we can believe we can look at somebody and say, hey, even if you've been saved, do you know that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and that you can be filled with him to be a witness where the Lord Jesus Christ has you? So applications of that then certainly run a lot of different places. Uh, I think one thing we could acknowledge is there is some semantics between the language of particularly being baptized in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Uh, I, I think they're really kind of synonymous in a lot of ways. Jesus talks about, again, in Acts 1, them being baptized with the Spirit, and he refers to Pentecost, where in John 20, some of them had already received the Holy Spirit. But in terms of just emphasis, probably the safest thing would be to say, when we're baptized, brought into the body of christ that happens once per se and then we are filled multiple times after that
1: that's where you hear that sort of shorthand one baptism many fillings and that's a way to say that there is an initial experience which includes the beginning of your salvation people say being baptized into the body of christ the joining of the people of god the work god does in making you alive and making you one with him and one with the people of God and no one wants to say that that experience is is repeated over and over again you yeah. keep being made no that's what we call salvation whatever shorthand term you want to use and so then while that while the term baptized could be used because it's it's really has to do with the fact that the spirit is often pictured as in terms of water yeah so baptized in terms of being dipped into or immersed in or filled with or covered over with the Holy Spirit. It's just sort of using that imagery of water, but it's not saying that that initial experience is being repeated. However, the fact that the initial experience isn't repeated doesn't mean there aren't subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit, and we're just saying it's probably helpful to use the term filled, because Scripture uses that term so often when talking about this. You know, you quoted all those Scriptures, Mike, in the book of Acts. You just can't read the book of Acts without seeing that It just kept happening and then when you see it explicitly happening for the same person over and over again or people that clearly were already saved or the same group of people you go oh this there's a repetitiveness to this experience that we're being invited to see and probably definitely experience the book of acts part of why it's written is to say here's your view of the christian life after jesus is glorified and the holy spirit comes notice they kept getting filled you should probably seek for that sort of a thing.
0: Yeah, and I think in terms of um, just admitting there are abuses to this, and a lot of the, the theological arguments are not to disprove what Brian just said, that people are filled and given strength to be witnesses where they are. They're to disprove what we would consider to be abuses, that there's a second baptism that leads to Uh, speaking in tongues you're not really saved if you don't have that or there's a second baptism that brings you to a place of sinless perfection which again we wouldn't agree with right but there's so the argument against kind of you needing something else or a subsequent work other than regeneration those arguments tend to be not that you can't be filled with the holy spirit again but we don't we don't want to admit to these other things that are abuses and they're a little reactionary and And we just, simply at Calvary Chapel, I think our balanced position is, yeah, we know there's abuses, but because there's abuses, it doesn't mean that the reality isn't there. We don't want
1: to throw the baby out with the bathwater.
0: We don't want to throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater, right. So that we can still look at a person and say, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again to accomplish something or to look to him to be the type of witness where the Lord has you. And that's there because Jesus promised it to be there and accomplished it on our behalf. It's a, it's a gift that we should ask for that those in the New Testament were constantly asking for and thought it was important enough that they asked other believers if they knew about it so that they could have it and believed that Jesus would give it. So again, the, the abuses don't disprove the scriptural reality, which kind of the book of Corinthians is always... To me, the great, great evidence of, of that. that. Yeah, where where there's all types of abuses happening with spiritual gifts in the church, Paul doesn't say, okay, well then there's no spiritual gifts. He instructs them on what those spiritual gifts should look yeah, like. Yeah,
1: he doesn't say, you're thinking about the Holy Spirit too much, or you're crazy, that ended with the apostolic age, or no, he just says you're off, I need to instruct you in the life and the spirit.
0: Sure. Or he doesn't even just say, you're born again, you don't need anything else. Anything else, yep. He, in fact, does the opposite. You need to desire these things more, you need to use them, but they just need to be kind of in their right lane. So, um, you know, I think we, again, by application, we don't want to, not have this as part of our message because we think it's an essential part of our message.
1: Maybe one way to say it would be, I was thinking about the uh, the Luke, you know, passage, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be witnesses. I think that's the Luke passage. Maybe one way to say this is, what Chuck is helping us see is that we need to acknowledge that to do the basic part of Christ- the Christian life, we need supernatural power. It's not that we can do the basic parts of the Christian life, but then we need supernatural power to do the special parts, the speaking in tongue parts, the prophesying parts. We need the supernatural power of God simply to be witnesses. And that's, being a witness for Christ is like baseline basic Christianity. That's core stuff. And so that's God's way of saying all of the Christian life is supernatural and you need the Spirit to do all of it right from the beginning. I mean,
0: you could go out and try to be a witness for Jesus without the Spirit, but you're not really going to be successful. Yeah, and I think maybe a distinctive of Calvary then, believing this, is that will be a part of our message to people that we believe is biblical. So if I have a mom who's struggling to have the type of witness of Christ in the life of her child that she wants to, the two options are, she moves to some man-made program or option. Or I could go to that mom and I could say, do you know that what you have not been able to do on your own, the gift of the Holy Spirit is there for you. You should pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you could be a supernatural type of witness to your son or your daughter. Yeah, hopefully we're
1: going to be quicker, not just to say, A, not to go to man-made programs alone, and, and B, not only just to say, Uh, let's pray, I think what's implicit, what you're saying, Mike, is we're not just going to pray for God to act, we're going to pray for God to strengthen that sister, that believer, to fill her with uh, his spirit so that she can live the life he's calling him to live.
0: Yeah, and that's a unique promise for our day and age where kind of in the Old Testament, some of these guys had it, unique individuals had this promise kind of on prepayment from what Jesus was going right, to do. David. Yeah, right. David and some of these unique individuals. Well, now in the New Testament, this is given to all the sons and daughters, as many as are far off. You, you can have this gift of the Holy Spirit to be filled afresh, even when you're born again, to be the type of witness that Jesus would have you to be. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, again, another just application of that is that when we say witnesses, were his witnesses in his way, not our own way. I think one of the distinctions, because this is where it can get weird, people have all these ideas of what that witness should be, whether it's speaking in tongues, right? Well, then everybody should speak in tongues, or whether it's doing supernatural miracles, of course, there's weird stuff out there with that, um, or... Even just, uh, you know, you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you can have crowds of forty thousand people, type of a thing. The reality is, I, when when this promise was given to these disciples, none of them had any idea of what was about to happen. Yes, they knew they needed the Holy Spirit. I didn't. None of them knew they were going to have tongues of fire over their head. None of them knew they were about to speak in tongues. Peter didn't know he was going to stand up and have thousands of people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. No, that Christ. wasn't a, that wasn't an outreach they planned. Right. There's yeah there's <laughs> there's no design behind it. P- Phil, Philip didn't know there was going to be a revival in Samaria. He didn't know what was going to happen with the Ethiopian eunuch. Peter definitely didn't know what was going on when he was sitting on the rooftop and then going to go to Cornelius's house. They didn't know
1: they were going to walk by that guy on the way to the temple that needed to be healed. Yeah. That would lead to that kind of gathering. You you, you don't you see them what it means is That when they are faithfully doing what God called them to do, and he presents all different kinds of opportunities, a needy person, a huge crowd, they have, God then empowers them and gives them, and they have what they need to step into the situation and do exactly what God wants them to do.
0: And then you see fruit born. Yeah. And that's the Spirit. Yeah. And so that's part of our message to individuals can simply be, you could be filled with the Holy Spirit to be the type of witness and need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus has promised to you, to be the type of witness that Jesus would have you to be, naturally or supernaturally natural.
1: And, I, and we were talking before getting ready. When we say, you said supernaturally natural, I think that it helps to think about the days we're living in. When we say supernatural, you might think we mean speaking in tongues, doing miracles, walking on water, or whatever. And God can, he can empower us to do anything that is needed in the moment. And we expect that those things will happen when God wants to do them assuming it's his plan. Mm -hmm. However, in our day and age, when so many people are hurt, bitter, can't get over the things they can't get over, can't make their relationships work, can't make their businesses work, can't make their families work, for them to run into Christians whose lives are in order, who have patience, who have love, joy, and peace, the fruit of the spirit, emotional resilience, uh, resources from which to give to others, meaning emotional resources, they run into you at work, in their neighborhood, at the gym, whatever, and they start to go, why are you like this? You have the best family. Can we hang out with you? Your friends seem awesome. Where did you meet these people? They just start, because nothing like that exists in their world. Mm -hmm. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to, I think one of the cool things is what we're saying is, we think a distinctive is, we want to explicitly talk about it, pray for it, depend on it. As leaders, we want to promote that Mm -hmm. as, hey, let's depend on the Spirit everywhere we go, so that when you're going through your day, like Peter and John, and God presents a, a, an opportunity. You're ready because you're in the Spirit.
0: Yeah. So the funny thing is, the one kind of final application, the the application Chuck does give in this chapter, other than just kind of the biblical basis for it, is, do you have it? Do you have it? That's that's really it. He, he asks in the end, what whatever you want to call it, whether it's the baptism or the filling or whatever you want to call this thing that we see over and over again in the book of acts that was promised by Jesus Christ to his immediate disciples and to all that will follow them. Do you have it? That's, that's the question. And I think the unique message from Calvary Chapel is simply you ask,
1: you can, you ask simple. Yeah. How much more will the father give the Holy spirit to those who ask? It comes back to the core simplicity of what we think God is leading us into, and this is another simple, and yet, because God's power is behind it, powerful reality.
0: Yeah. Yep. So, that's pretty much it. That's a simple one moving forward here, although essential in, I think, anything we do, and particularly, again, ties back to the other things that we've already stated, where A pastor is gifted of the Holy Spirit, has to have the Holy Spirit to fulfill his call. The church is led and directed by the Holy Spirit. This this is going to be, even though it's kind of simple here, uh, a continual running theme through kind of the ministry of Calvary Chapel. And the reality is, if we took this out, the rest of it would kind of fall apart. So, um, you know, bless the Lord that he left us with his spirit and not to ourselves Amen. <laughs> all right see you guys see you guys